you have your Bibles, you can open to Titus. It's near the back, Titus. It's a letter from a guy named Paul to his friend Titus, who is a pastor on an island called Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean. And we're going to be going through it for the next uh, eight or nine weeks together. It's, It's an awesome little personal note that Paul wrote his friend that we're going to benefit from as we learn how we do. That's what we're talking about over these next few weeks. I don't know how you learned how you do things. Uh, Usually it takes me uh, getting some lessons. Yesterday I was out uh, at my house mulching. Uh, I realized after doing this, I don't know how to mulch because here's how I mulched. I took it from the back of my pickup truck in huge pitchforkfuls and I just threw it over the plants. Yeah, now some of you are like, duh, don't do that, Mark. I didn't know until my wife came home and said, hey, Mark, I think you killed all our plants. Way to go, bro. Uh, uh, we salvaged most of them, but, the, but especially the fern-type things, they're pretty delicate. I guess I wasn't supposed to throw it on those. It's pretty bad when you have to dig through mulch to find your plants, just so you know. But I realized, you know, as, as I knew I was going to be talking, hey, what are you doing in town? It's good to see you, man. I'm looking at you, Jason. How you doing? All right, it's good to have you. All right, sorry. Shout out. I hadn't seen him for a year. All right, uh, I notice, just so you know, I know where every one of you sits... And if there's someone in the wrong place, I can tell. Shall we continue? Yeah, most of what I know, I learned from someone. They showed me how to do it. Like, uh, I, I was, I've, I've done a lot of my house, and, and I got all these great tools. DeWalt and I are friends, right? And so uh, I've, I've used my DeWalt screwdriver thing to put most of the screws in, and I keep having a problem with stripping out the screw heads, you know? I didn't realize that you can change the power setting on those things. That was the first learn- thing I had to learn. And then my buddy Osha, who helps me out with most of my projects, who does things right, uh, showed me that indeed they still make the old kinds of screwdrivers uh, that you can actually use your wrist to turn. And in some delicate situations, that's the best, that's the best choice. And I, I didn't know that. I thought, hey, uh, it, I paid a lot of money for this. I got to use this every time I put a screw in my wall. And uh, some of them aren't coming out anymore because they're terribly stripped. But that's how we learn things. Someone comes alongside of us and says, this is how you do it. Paul did that with Titus. Uh, We're going to find out here in just a few verses that Paul was uh, the introducer of Titus to Christ. He he got to share Christ with Titus. And and Titus uh, learned how to do the Christ life from Paul. Uh, he's, He's now a leader in the church. And Paul is writing this letter. And he's saying, hey, Paul, this is how you do it. And as we read the scriptures and as we look at each other's lives, we're trying to learn on Sunday mornings and hopefully throughout the rest of the week how to do this life for Christ. We're going to walk through lots of different subjects as we read the book of Titus, but uh, it's going to be all so that we might do this life with Christ and for Christ. Now, as we talk about doing, we have to bring this up. Grace shapes and drives how we do things. You're going to hear me preach grace in here uh, I trust every week because if we turn this relationship that we have with Christ and this, this, uh, this inner exchange that we have with him and his grace into something that's, that's, that's more akin to religion, that's more us just doing stuff on our own so that, that we can knock this out on our own strength, then I've done a terrible disservice to his church and I've, 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 I've messed up the gospel. The gospel is simply this. That it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And it's not about our works. Now, that, that's what starts our faith in, in, in Jesus Christ. It's, it's his grace and our faith. But that's what perpetuates our life with Christ. It's his grace through us that enables us to live this life for Jesus. You can't, you can't headlock the Christ life. You can't do this on your own strength. He's got to do it through you. This is a theme verse for the book of Titus. Here we go. 
Titus chapter 2, verse 11. If you're in your Bibles, you can skip over a page and read it with me, but it says it here on the screen. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So Titus, in the middle of one of his runs here in the book, he basically, or excuse me, Paul, in the middle of one of his runs here in his letter to Titus, says, hey, the grace of God has appeared. Who's he referring to specifically? The person of Christ. But what is he referring to beyond that? That the grace of God has come through Christ. And what has it done? It's brought salvation for all people. Anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, everybody gets to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because grace has appeared. Good news, right? But look what it says next. Grace has now appeared and it's training us to do two things, to say no and to say yes. It's training us, first of all, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. I'm not going to do what I used to do. I'm not going to be, by the grace of God, who I was before I met him. And I'm going to become more and more like him as I go on. That's the next part. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, to say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. And it goes on from there. But what a great little in-the-middle-of-the-book reminder. As, as Titus is saying, here's how we do it. This is what you've got to do. Make sure you do this, Titus. He says, but don't forget, you doing things is not on your own strength. It's by the grace of God that we accomplish anything. Here's what that means. If you've ever done anything that's good, righteous, Christ-like, wasn't you. The Spirit through you, Christ through you, accomplished those good and righteous things. I was out in the yard with my grandson, Esaias. He's four years old. Four-year-olds uh, uh, don't help with anything, just so you know. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to bag on him. He's a great four-year-old. But most four-year-olds, when they want to help, they're not really helping. Has anybody noticed this? But we were out in the yard, and he said, I want to help. And listen, I, I want to teach my grandson, and I've tried to teach my kids, that work is a part of life. You should look forward to it. You should just mm, glom onto it and just do it. And so if, if a kid shows signs that he wants to work, he's in. And we're going to figure out how to make this work even though he's not going to really help with the work. Are you with me? So he's standing behind the, wall, the wheelbarrow, and there's probably 50 pounds of stuff in the wheelbarrow. And I say, all right, buddy, we need that wheel over here. And so he gets behind the wheelbarrow. He's, he's so short, he has to kind of grab it like this, you know, and push it up like this. So he's trying to pick it up, and he can't. I mean, he's like 40 pounds. The stuff that's in there is 50. And even with the fulcrum, I know some of you guys are scientists, it still didn't work, all right? So I said, no, buddy, you're grabbing it in the wrong spot. It was kind of lying, but you'll see where we're headed up. I said, slide down the bar. So we slid down the handlebars of this. And then I said, all right, on the count of three, now try. One, two, three. And he put all of his four-year-old goon. But who came in behind him? This guy, right? And so he's standing at the front of that, you know, right up by the bucket of the wheelbarrow, pushing with all his might. And all of a sudden, bloop, wheelbarrow is airborne. And I said, all right, buddy, you got to get those feet moving. And so he starts pounding his feet. And he's pushing the wheelbarrow. Is he pushing the wheelbarrow? Not one bit. He's just holding on to the handlebars and walking. And we get over to the spot where we're going to dump. All right, really push now. You've got to push. We're going to dump this. Plop, all the stuff comes out. We celebrated like he just won the World Series. It was awesome. And we walked back and got some more, and we kept doing that over and over again. Me convincing him that he's doing it while all the while. Who's getting it done? This guy. Hey, if you do anything good for God, who's getting it done? That guy. Jesus through you is getting it done. So as we talk about how we do, don't miss it. 
God's behind you on the wheelbarrow. He gets it done. You just let him do through you. Now, Titus starts out with a P.S. Here we go. Getting into the letter now. Back to chapter 1, verse 1. It starts with a P.S. about Paul. And and, and here's what I mean by that. When when we say P.S. in our letter writing, what do we mean? What's it stand for? Postscript. It comes after everything. What you're going to see in in these letters that Paul writes to his churches and his friends uh, is that there's a P.S., but it's a prescript. It comes before. So in, in Greek letters back then, you would sign your name first. That's what Paul does. He says, Paul, this letter's from Paul. Yo, Paul, right? That's the hip-hop version of not even really, not really. Okay, but he says, but, he, but here's what he does. You look at almost all of his letters. He starts with some, some form of identification of himself. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Stop right there. It's his, it's his calling card. It's his, it's his business card. I am. A servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. We'll start with those. Doulos is the word servant. And it means that he's surrendered to God. Do we say that around here? If you're new, yes, we do. Our whole mission is that we exist to surrender to God. That was Paul's mission. We're slaves of God. We're here at his behest to do his bidding. All right? Paul makes that very clear about himself. I'm a, I'm a servant of God. But then he says this. I'm also an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle, the word apostolos just means... Uh, sent one or messenger. I'm, this, I'm the one who's been sent by Jesus Christ. And I'm not just sent with like no purpose or whatever. He's going to get that in a little more detail. But apostles at that time uh, were seen as the leaders of the church. They were the ones who, like, like when Paul was writing to his, his friends in Corinth, uh, he, he asserted his apostleship and said, hey, listen, I'm God's sent one. I'm the one that you're supposed to be listening to when it comes to matters of following him. He was, a, he was asserting his leadership. So Paul does this. He says, I'm a servant, but I'm a leader. So today we're going to talk about how we do as servant leaders. What we're going to discover is that if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, every one of us in here has a, a, a downline, a, a, an influence position with someone else. And so we all, in some form or fashion, whether it's in our home with our kids or in our relationships with our spouses or in our, our, our life groups or our friendships or even at our work where there's a bunch of non-Christian people or not yet Christians, I like to call them, people who don't know Jesus yet. I'm a servant leader. I'm a, I'm a servant who is uh, serving God and who is, by God's grace, going to be an influencer of the people around me for his sake. We're going to talk about that today. And he goes on, he shares his purpose. He says, for the, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That's a long sermon. We're going to talk about election someday in here. But here's what you've got to do. You have to deal with what the Bible says about, uh, well, who God is and, and how he works with us. And what he says is, is that God elects us. He chooses us. As much as we choose him, or even more so, he chooses us. And so Paul's mission is to those who will choose Christ and those who Christ has already chosen. I'm going to push pause on that. We'll preach it again some other day, but that's what it says. Everybody with me on that? For the sake of, uh, of, of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul, apparently, uh, you know, punctuation was uh, at a premium back then. You had to pay for, like, periods and stuff. Paul doesn't, like, use one ever. Has anybody noticed this when Paul writes? He's, commas were free, apparently. But periods, no, we're just going to go, all right? So he, he says a whole bunch of stuff here. But let's break it down into three things, okay? First of all, he says, I came for the sake of the faith. Everybody put your hands over your heart. He came so that people might have faith and believe in Jesus in their hearts. Everybody say faith. Okay? Then he came so that they might know the truth. Everybody point to your, your temples and say no. Okay? And then he came that they might do the stuff that is according to godliness or, or live out the stuff. So, so we got heart, head, 
hands. We got faith, no, do. That's Paul's purpose. He's a servant of God. He's a leader on his behalf. And his whole purpose is to make sure that people believe in Jesus, they know how to live for Jesus, and then they actually do. You with me? He goes on and he says this. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, anybody grateful for that? We can bank on him. He's, he's a truth teller. Always has been, always will be. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Here's what that means. It means before we even existed, God knew that there would be a, a redemptive need and he has promised that eternal life is going to be a part of our existence if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It even preceded Christ coming to earth. He knew that he's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's prescient and sees things as they, as they come to occur. And, and so he, he knew that eternity in heaven with us was always a part of the plan. He goes on and he says this. Again, no periods here. And at the proper time, he manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. All that means is, is that, listen, God wanted me to come. Faith, no, do. He wanted me to preach hope. And he's manifested this hope now through my, my speaking. My mission as a servant and as a leader is to make sure everybody knows about the faith that we can have in Jesus, about the, the life that we can live for him, how to go and do that, and the hope that we have in our eternity with him. Good stuff, right? In fact, I think hope is the, is the, is the trump card of the Christian life. You know, you talk to people at funerals, and if, if, if they're, they're burying a Christian, there's a hope in the room. It's a sadness, but there's a hope. There's a, there's a certainty that this person who has put their faith in Christ is no longer here, but they are with Christ in eternity, for eternity. And that, that, like Paul says in another one of his writings, he says, hey man, death, where's your victory? Grave, where's your sting? I'm afraid to die, you are too, we're humans. But am I afraid of death? Nope. Because I believe my faith in what I know about God has led me to this hope that I have that I will not cease to exist when this heart stops stops pumping and these lungs stop breathing. I go on. And that's the hope of the Christian life. I hope you have that hope. I hope that hope is, is, is what you cling to in the trials of your life. I'm just passing through. What's the worst that can happen to me? For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. I'm good. Because of my hope in eternal life. He goes on and he says this. Now he's going to address the letter. He says, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. That's where we find out that, that Titus came to faith under the ministry of Paul. He calls him his own kid. Now, he's not a disciple of Paul. He's a disciple of Christ. But Paul got to be in on the transaction. I was sitting in my life group uh, this past Thursday morning. love my life group, guys. And uh, we were talking about how to share their faith. So I got everybody a napkin and everybody a pen. They didn't think I'd bring pens. I totally brought pens. And, uh, and so we, we just worked out, you know, doing the bridge illustration, just explaining, to, you know, here's, here's how you can share your faith at lunch with one of your buddies you're having lunch with. And it was like, great, right, cool. And, and uh, down at the end of the table is T.J. Towers and T.J., and I met the first year I was here, like the first month that I was here. And, uh, and he, he started getting to know me. He was a Yankees fan. I was a Red Sox fan. They were in the playoffs at the time. And so it didn't start out well. But, uh, uh, but we, we got over our teams, and, and, and we just started hanging out. And he started coming to our life group. And eventually, long story short, I got to sit down in the dining room of the first house we rented here and share the gospel with TJ. And TJ became a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's sitting there, and we're talking about this whole bridge thing. And TJ hauls out the paper. It's still in his Bible. 
the piece of loose leaf that I had shared the same bridge illustration with him with that, that, that led to him becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, is TJ a disciple of Mark? Not even close. I would tell him to stop if he ever... But was I, was I blessed to be a part of Jesus ushering TJ into the kingdom? Yes. And that he still had, like, you know, his declaration of independence or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, in his Bible. It was a really cool moment. And that's, that's what happened with Titus. I didn't tell that story anywhere else, but I'll... I'll, I'll Cut something out. Here we go. Okay. Uh, he's, 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 they're in a common faith. And this, this might seem like, uh, it's just, you know, it's an ordinary mundane faith. No, no, no. Remember that in this time, uh, uh, the Jews had had the claim to God. The, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was only the Jews' God. And if you wanted to be under the, his, you know, this God, you had to become Jewish. But in this day and age, uh, Paul and his friend Titus, who if you read through their their history in the, in the story, uh, they basically were some of the early pioneers of there being no separation anymore between Jew and Gentile. And so when he says common faith, he's making a Jew-Gentile thing there. Paul is a Jew. Good. Who guessed Jew? Nice place. So Titus is a... Nice! Everybody was in on that one. And so he's saying, hey, here we are. I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile, but we have this common faith in Christ. Great stuff, okay? He says these two words at the beginning. Grace and what? From God our Father and from Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Savior. He almost always starts his letters with grace and peace. And I've told you this before, but let's hit it one more time. Why grace and peace? Why not love and mercy? Or why not? Okay, here's why. Paul says grace and peace because he want, his whole mission is to bring the grace, to show people the grace so they may believe in their hearts and know in their heads and do with their hands the, the grace life that Christ has given us. So he's always talking about grace. But he, he wants people to understand the benefit of grace, I believe. And so he says this, hey man, grace, and don't forget, grace brings what? Peace. Grace brings peace. That's why when I get up here and I talk to you, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's happening in your family. I don't know what hills you're trying to climb, what storms are wage, you know, we're waging in your life. But here's the deal. Because of grace, no matter what your circumstances are, you can have peace. Paul constantly trumpets that, that couplet, grace and peace. And now he's going to get on with the letter. So Titus, he opens with that PS, and then he opens again with how grace shapes servant leadership. Usually he starts with some, if you read his letters, uh, Paul uh, starts with a lot of theology, and then he gets to the practical stuff at the back end. But here in Titus, he just starts with the practical stuff. Apparently, things were urgent. He was going to get to the theology later, but he's like, hey, Titus, here's what you need to do. And what he's going to talk about today specifically is how Titus was meant to do servant leadership in the churches that he was over in Crete. When, uh, when Paul and Titus were in Crete, apparently they, they, they had lots of fruit from their ministry. They, see, they saw lots of people come to Christ. And actually people uh, you know, from several different towns on that island found Christ. And so there were churches, like Baylife was here, and then there would be another church down in Ruskin, and then one up in Temple Terrace, and then maybe one over in Plant City. City. Maybe they even got to Lakeland, and, and even Orlando. There was a whole bunch of churches, and Titus had been given charge over all of these churches and they desperately needed to have a formalized leadership in place in those those churches just like we do as a church so that those churches could function the way that they should function so the the position was called elder uh the greek word for elder is presbuteros everybody say presbuteros did you say it right did you say presbuteros okay who grew up in a presbyterian church that's the Greek word presbuteros. It just means elder-led or elder-driven, okay? Uh, he also calls them uh, overseers, which is the Greek word episkopos. Everybody say episkopos. Anybody heard of an episcopal church? Same idea, elder-driven, okay? 
bishop-driven, actually, because Episcopos is also translated bishop. But here we go. Everybody with me? He says, listen, you need to find these men, these leaders in the church that are going to be what we think of today as modern-day pastors and elders who, who help run the church. And here's where some of you are going to be like, all right, that's not me. Out. Skip this part. Because it's just for those guys. It's just for the pastors on the staff and maybe the eight or nine guys that serve as elders in the church. The rest of us, free to move about the country, right? That's what we think sometimes when we come to certain definitive. But here's the deal. It, does, is, is, the, is the word God breathed? Does the Holy Spirit inspire every word in Scripture? Yes. Is it, does it ever come back void? No. So that means there's principles here and these, these uh, requirements of elder that are for you. And here's what I'd submit to you. Everybody look at me. You ready? Here's the biggie. You're somebody's elder. You're somebody's overseer. Now, you may not hold the position in your church, but male, female, young Christian, older Christian, uh, long in the faith, short in the faith, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a Christ carrier. That's what Christian means. And you have influence over other people on behalf of Christ that you might not even think about, but you are somebody's elder or overseer. You're somebody's servant leader. Everybody in here, anybody raising kids? Who's got kids next door? Anybody got kids next door? Guess who their first elder is? Guess who their first pastor is? Not me. It's not Betsy. It's not Wendy. It's you. You're that child's elder. You're that child's servant leader. You're the one who's supposed to point them to Christ. Don't bring them to church so that we can do it for you. We'll help you. But that teenager who drives you crazy, guess who's supposed to be their senior pastor? You. Because they're your kid. Many of you lead in life groups. Many of you should lead in life groups. Many of you lead even though you don't have a title of leader. You are someone's servant leader. If you've got non-Christians or not yet Christians in your world, you're their servant leader. Everybody in here is an elder to someone. Now we're going to talk about the specifics of being an elder in the church, but I want you to hear it about you and about how you should live. So that when you go to your high school campus, college campus, job on Monday... Wherever it is, you understand these are the expectations God has for all of his children, not just the elders in your church. Got me? Here we go. What is required of servant leaders? First thing we need to see is here in this verse, verse and verse 5. Servant leaders are to be blameless. Some of you are like, out, done, gone. Hang on. We'll get there in a second. You'll understand what this means in a little bit deeper fashion. This is why I left you, Paul says to Titus, in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. All these churches, they need to be organized. They need to be led. And so your first mission in all these churches is to find people in those churches who can lead in this capacity of elder. He says, and to appoint elders, presbuteros, in every town as I directed you. Here's our elders. You want to see our elders? The elder bunch. Here they are. You got Rob, Shane, Rich. You got Tom. That's me. That's Bernie. That's Walt. That's Fred. That's Don. If you're in the room, wave. There they are. They're actual guys. Wave. There they are. You can look at them. And these are the men that God has given us to serve in our church in this role specifically as elder. All right? So pray for these guys. Uh, They are, by God's grace, doing a knockout job leading this church. Uh, We're all men. We got opinions. We're, We're working and praying through things. But overall, we as a team, uh, by God's grace, have, have seen some amazing things happen. So pray for the elder bunch. But this is what he wants the elder bunch to be, above reproach. How often do you use the word reproach in your uh, vernacular? I don't use it very often at all. So, so other translations have, have listed this as being blameless. If you're a servant leader, be blameless. But here's the deal. Is anybody blameless? Who's read the Bible? Romans says that there are none righteous. 
There are none blameless, no, not one, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So are we talking about perfection here? If we were, there wouldn't be a pastor anywhere. There'd never be an elder, because there's no such thing as a perfect dude or lady in this room or any room. Are you with me? So he can't mean sinless perfection, but here's what he does mean. These words, above reproach, basically mean unimpeachable. It's not so much that you know, when you look in the mirror, you, you see a good guy. It's when everybody else looks at you, they see a good guy or a good lady. It's like they look at you and say, you know what? I don't know everything about them, but what I do know about them is that they try their best to follow Christ and what his word teaches. They're, they're seeking to honor him in their, in their homes and in their jobs and in their life. I can't find things in them that would say, ah, that's not Christ. Now, I'm sure that they mess up. I do too. But overall, my assessment of these people is that they're trying to live their life for Christ. That's what it means to be above reproach. That's why every year, you know, at the end of the year, we ask for elder affirmations. Just so you know, that's not like this empty, uh, you know, we have to do it because of our bylaws type thing. It's, if there's ever anything that's happening with those nine guys in the elder, you know, proper understanding of, of elder here, uh, that would disqualify, uh, disqualify them from leadership, we got to know. Because we can't have men who are not above reproach not trying to live the Christ life, leading our church. Can you imagine how that would go if we had a bunch of people who Jesus didn't matter to them leading a church where Jesus does matter to us? Can't have it. Can't have it. Now, they don't have to be perfect because they're not. And I'm not. But they need to be someone who, when people look at them, say, yeah, that guy, that, that leader is following Jesus. I was at Lowe's uh, a few months ago now. In the throes of trying to finish this house, I was trying to do as many things by myself to save money. Who's been there? Anybody? And it's well documented. I'm not very good at that. But I had a buddy coming over that was going to help me. And it was my job to get all the supplies to finish up this last piece of it. So I had to get some plywood and some lumber, some different things that we were going to use in the project. So I went to Lowe's after church. Now, just real quick, when I'm done preaching on Sunday, don't cry for me, Argentina. But I'm spent. I got nothing. All right? My head's all... Uh, you know, just foggy from talking to you guys for four services, and I'm, I haven't eaten for a while, and it's, it, you know, usually I get out of here around 1 o'clock, and so uh, on this particular day, lunch was going to be pushed back to like 2, 2.30, and my, my you know, blood sugars were down, I don't know, whatever, and, and so this is not the best time for me to go to a grocery store, because I'd buy everything, but it, it was also not the best time for me to go to any store, because I, I, I just had a shorter fuse. Are you with me? So, of course, on this particular day, I go to Lowe's, and, and the one thing I needed, it was all gone in the one dock it was supposed to be in. It's all up, you know, three f- f- uh, shelves up, and they have to get one of the cranes out or whatever they use, the forklift cranes. That's too big. But they had to get a forklift out to move all this stuff down so that I can get the product I needed, right? So I sent a dude, uh, you know, I said, hey, I need this stuff. And he says, all right, I'll be right back. But he, he's gone 10, 15 minutes. I don't know how long he was gone. It felt like forever, five ever, right, as my daughter says. It was that long. And, uh, and so uh, finally, he come, you know, I asked the girl, I says, hey, so-and-so went to get the, the, the forklift, and he's just, I haven't seen him for a while. Can you, you know, can you find him? And, and she gets him on the phone, and I hear over the walkie-talk, oh, I hear that, you know, because he had gotten on to another customer and had totally forgotten that I was still waiting in lumber for him to. So he comes back, and he's like, yeah, let me get, and then he, then he remembers after coming back. I'm thinking, great, I'm going to finally get my lumber. Then he remembers he needs a manager to oversee because of, of you know, OSHA, and they're, you know, you've got to have someone else block off the aisle and blah, 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 right? And so now I'm starting to get kind of mad. 
I mean, I'm having a, I'm having a bad transaction. And we're Americans, and we don't put up with bad transactions. We want what we want, when we want, how we want, now! Because we deserve it. We're Americans. I'm hungry, and I'm starting to get a little kind of fussed out, and I'm like, man. And I'm about to, you know, say some stuff and maybe fire off an angry email. You know what I'm talking about, right? And something, you know, something just says, hey, Mark, let it go, man. Let it go. And so the Spirit leads me to sit down on a pile of plywood that I did not need. And I just got out my phone. I kind of just collected myself, and I started doing what I do to keep myself calm. I started playing solitaire. That's how I do it, all right? Solitaire just brings it all back to normal. I was interrupted by the sound of a woman's voice. It wasn't the dude who was supposed to be getting the lumber for me. It was some lady. I didn't know who it was. She said, hey, pastor, you look kind of tired. Hi. How long have you been here? I didn't say that, but I'm thinking that, right? And I'm, and I'm starting to think back. What have I said to these people? What have I said? I know I'm mad. Did anything come out? And thankfully, no, nothing had. And she went on to tell me, hey, I walked in about the same time. I was going to say hi, but, you know, I figured you were busy and just going to be in and out. But then I went around, did all my shopping. I kept coming by this aisle, and you were still there just standing there waiting, you know. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. I almost went and talked to someone for you. You know, my pastor's waiting over there. But, but you know, I, I, I'm done checking out, and I see that you're still here waiting. And, and, and I, on that day, I, I had preached like I almost do, do every week on something about patience. She says, isn't this funny? <laughs> isn't this funny? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's not. I want to... If I see a blue vest come by, I'm going to kill him. But uh, I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's coincidence at all. But on a day, a, an elder of your church was preaching on patience. He's sitting in Lowe's and someone from his church. And if you're out there, hi, I don't remember your name, but it's great to see you. Uh, you know, came by and, and saw the whole thing go down. Everybody's watching. Everybody's watching. And, and you and I, as servant leaders, are called to live above reproach. So, so listen, that doesn't mean just at church. Don't put on the sunshine just for church. Don't think you can go into your business and treat your employees, you know, like a tyrant. Don't think that you can go into those, uh, you know, purchases and, and, and demand your American rights to be served right now. No. Live, and, and we're going to see the list here in a second. Live a life. That exemplifies the character of Christ because people are watching and you are leading. Amen. Now, I'm gonna, I gotta run through some of this stuff. It's gonna get a little technical, especially as it refers to, to specifically the elder role. But servant leaders in general is a principle, they play well at home. Get, get this you are taught to be a servant leader, servant leader mostly in the confines of your home. So in your, in your relationship with your spouse, you learn servant leadership. In your relationship with your kids, you learn servant leadership. And here's, here's what we're basically going to read. I'm going to go through it pretty quick. But we're basically going to read that if you're going to be an elder or a pastor in church and you can't handle up on your marriage and serve in that relationship and lead well in that relationship, if you can't uh, live, uh, serve and lead well with your children, if you can't do it right with your bride, don't expect to be trusted with the bride of Christ. If you can't do it right with your kids, don't be expected to be trusted with the children of God. You've got to nail this stuff at home. Again, not perfection, but you need to be above reproach in your relationships at home so that you can be used as a leader in the family of God. It says that we should be the husband of one wife, all right? 
The husband and woman, again, this is a huge text. I'm not going to go into all the technical stuff, talk about whether there should be only a male eldership or whether women should be involved. I'm not going to discuss that today. Uh, what this basically means is that there's, you sh- if, you're, if you're a leader in the church, you should be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. Now, typically what has happened throughout the history, there's been things that this has been applied to. Some th- in a period of history, some people thought that no single man should be, should be given an eldership position. I don't believe that. Jesus was single, right? Paul was single, okay? So if you're single, no big whoop. Uh, serve Jesus, okay? Uh, some people thought it was polygamy. I believe that was probably true in that uh, day and age, especially when you start reading about the Cretans. Uh, so you can't have more than one wife, okay? I think that still holds today. It's been mostly applied to the fact that you can't have been married and then divorced and remarried again or divorced of any kind and serving in the role of eldership. Now, there's lots of debates about that. There would certainly uh, be some cases that would come under scrutiny. Maybe you were divorced before you were a Christian, stuff like that. But for the most part, uh, you, would, you, you would see in a, in a role of eldership someone who has had one wife, one marriage, throughout the duration of their life. Now, does that mean the divorced people can't lead or can't serve? Absolutely not. Half of America is divorced. All right? Half of this church has gone through that. Does that make you somehow a lesser Christian? Absolutely not. But for the purposes of pastor and elder... There's, there's certain confines that are put on that role. At, in the, at, at the very least, it means, listen, if you are stepping out on your wife, all right, if you are not a one-woman man, then there needs to be something taken care of at home before you can come and lead at the church. If I was ever to step out on Eleanor, and by God's grace, I never have, and by God's grace, as you pray with me, I never will. But if that was to ever happen, I'm done. See ya. And I don't ever have any you know, auspices or any ideas that I'd ever want to come back and serve in this role because I believe that that's a disqualifier in, in many capacities. All right? Other people might disagree with me. It's totally fine. But that's, that's what I see. Husband and one wife, one woman man. And then his children are to be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Just means uh, you've, you've given your kids the framework on which they need uh, to build a Christian life. Now, does every kid honor God with the information and the, and the teaching that their parents give them. Raise your hand if you were not one of them. All right? I grew up in a pastor's house, and I took two years off from Jesus. Just lived like a pagan for my senior year and part of my freshman year of college. Uh, does that mean that I didn't know the how I was supposed to live? No. It was very, very clear to me how I was meant to live. Does that mean who, my dad, who was a pastor at the time, needed to step down while I was off in the woods doing what I was doing? No. Here's what I believe about this. If, as a parent, what's our job? Raise up our children in the way that they should go. Give them the rails. As they're living in our house uh, and they go off the rails, correct them lovingly but clearly. Correct them and keep them from doing the things that we do. If, listen, if you're a parent and your hands are off your kids, you're like, hey, they've got to figure it out and God will show them. You're abdicating your mission as a parent in that kid's life. And if that's what's happening, well, then... Maybe leadership in the church shouldn't be something that, you know, uh, we, we give to you until, you know, there's, there's more done in that capacity. But if you have done all that you can to inform and instruct, and especially your adult children go off the rails, well, then, then you fulfill what I think here is being above reproach in parenting your home. Are you with me, though? Get the principle, though, because some of you are like, I don't know. Uh, here, here's what this means. If you're going to be able to servant lead someone, if you're going to be able to influence somebody, you've got, to, you've got to be diligent in your marriage, loving your spouse, your husband or your wife. You've got to be diligent in your parenting because God, he's going to teach us servant leadership in those relationships first. Let's go on. 
Here we go. Servant leaders play well on their own. I'm going to give you a long list. I want you to circle the ones as you read your Bibles that you're like, oh, got to work on that. It's a long list of things. Like if this, if you were putting a job posting for your business, you would say you should have these skills, Microsoft, blah, 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 blah. These are the things, the characteristics of a servant leader, an elder, and then certainly any of us who would want to serve on behalf of our Savior. An overseer, that's that word episkopos, as God's servant must again, he says it twice, be above what? He must not, so here we go, he must not be arrogant, he's got to be humble. Can't be a know-it-all. Uh, can't be someone who looks down his nose at certain populations in the church. Can't be someone who's, you know, that work is beneath me. Has to be humble. Has to be someone who is uh, not quick-tempered. He's gentle. I'm going to just read off here. Here we go. He's patient. Uh, he has to be moderate, not, not into being drunk, and, but just moderate in all things. Now, Paul says we've been, it's for freedom that we've been set free. We have all these freedoms in Christ. But he says, listen, I choose to set aside my freedoms for the sake of the gospel. When I was with the Romans, I acted as the Romans. When I was with the Jews, I acted as the Jews. And so what a leader does is he reads the signs and he says, listen, even though I'm free to do this, I'm going to keep myself, I'm going to be moderate. And, and, and obviously not, you know, go to extremes with alcohol or anything else. Uh, I'm not going to be violent. I'm going to be gentle. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm going to be content. I'm not going to, you know, be uh, pompous or, or use my position of leadership for my own gain, is basically what he says there. When I grew up in churches, they used to have the thrones on the stage, the Baptist thrones. Has anybody been to a Baptist church, an old one like that? They, they had the big papa chair for the senior pastor and a bunch of baby chairs for the baby bears, you know, the baby pastors. And, uh, and so you'd walk in, and, and there they were. And I'm, listen, I'm not saying that every church, you know, uh, glorified their pastors, but you've got to remember, elders, if you're a servant leader, you're a servant first and then a leader. And, and we're not meant to be glorified or deified. We're not. I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity. Not even close, right? So don't give me a parking space with my name on it. That, to me, is anathema. That's a big word, but it means it's a curse. It's like, why would I ever think more of myself? i got a parking space. It's mine because I get there before the rest of you. <laughs> it's out under the trees over there, so my car has shade. But there's, there shouldn't ever be a leader who says, I deserve Certainly we should honor our leaders. We should take care of our pastors and pay them a, you know, a reasonable wage. Don't muzzle the ox and verses like that. But don't ever, don't ever worship a man, deify a man, glorify a man. It's going to be horrible for him, and it's going to be bad for you. Be hospitable, it goes on to say. That means whatever you got is God's, and if someone else needs it, you give it. Whether it's your home, your stuff, your money, you're hospitable. Uh, be good and defend good. Uh, uh, lovers of good are the ones who see the bright side, who, who invoke the good in an in a otherwise desperate situation. Uh, be uh, sensible and reasonable. That's what it means to be self-controlled. Uh, make, make good decisions and take your time so that you do make good decisions. Be honest is the next one. That's what upright means. Be honest in your dealings. My father-in-law, Byron's here. He's been here. One of my favorite stories that my wife and her uh, brother would tell me about them, uh, about Byron, is that when, when he got too much change in a drive through at McDonald's on one of their trips out west, he, t- he was 30 miles away from the McDonald's, and he turned the bus around. Drove all the way back. Went 60 miles out of his way to return some change from dinner. And what my, my, my wife and her brother are like, I can't believe he did that, you know. And it was two bucks, blah, 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 blah. But is that what they remember about their childhood with my father-in-law? Yeah. And what did he show in that situation? Honesty. 
Honesty. So if you get too much change at lunch, give it back. And may God burn your car if you don't. All right, here we go. <laughs> not really. I'm not, I'm not a curse guy, just so you know. Okay. But it'd be funny if you did, wouldn't it? It'd be funny. Because you'd be here next week being like, hey, you burnt my car down. Well, you should have given the change back. All right, here we go. Be holy, it says. Be spiritual. Think right. Do the right. It's not what I think, it's what God thinks. When we get together as an elder team, and when you do your life as a, as a servant leader, wherever you're doing it, your first instinct and in decisions and in leading should be, God, what do you want from me in this? When we make decisions for our church, we can have all the opinions we want, but none of our opinions matter. It's, un- it's only until God acts in the hearts of the men in that room, and God leads in the leadership of this church, that God's will for our church moves forward. Now, have we made choices that we'd do over again? Yeah, but does that mean that we weren't seeking God and listening to God? No, we always pray through things. We always seek him. Always. Be focused is the last part. It says that we need to be, what's it say? Disciplined, focused. That means putting God first, others second, me last. And the last thing is this, and I'll leave you with this. Servant leaders, they, they need to know well the word. They need to play well at home. They need to play well on their own, and they need to know well the word. Here's just one more verse on this. He must, the the servant leader must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may do two things. One, he may inform, constructively instruct, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine. And then secondly, so that he can constructively deconstruct. He may be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Here, here's what the elders' primary role is. is to pray for our church and then to be the doctrinal gatekeepers of what's going on here. To make sure that, listen, we're gonna, everybody's going to have different opinions about minor issues in the faith. You may come from a charismatic background and think that's the way to go. You may come from a cessationist background and be like, I can't believe them. Okay, hey, we're not going to disagree about stuff that we don't have, have unity on in the minors. But when it comes to the majors, don't be messing with the deity of Christ around here. Don't be messing with the fact that he is the son of God, not just one of the guys that God used. He's the son of God. When he died on the cross, he saved all of humanity from the sin. Whoever puts their faith in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That's the gospel. Don't be jacking with the gospel around here because the elders got a big stick and they're going to come out with it. You with me? And that's their role is to protect the doctrinal integrity of this church. And that's your role. As you go out and do life, whether it's at school tomorrow, it's to be able to, from your understanding of God's word, instruct people in his truth, and then from your understanding of God's word, be able to confront people lovingly. This isn't a bullhorn verse to go and start barking at your corner. But when people have, you know, wackadoodle ideas about God and who he is, you're like, no, here's what the Bible says. God's a God of grace. God doesn't hate you. God loves you. This is what the Bible says, Right? And you're the one who injects the truth so that you can contract, contradict the misunderstandings. Oh, it's, it's going to be a great book. We're going to have so much fun in Titus. We're going to learn so many things about how we do. But here, for, for our purposes this morning, everybody in here, one more time, look at me. You're somebody's elder. You're somebody's overseer. Your kids are looking at you. Your spouse is looking to you. Everybody in here bears this this. This, this incredible, amazing grace opportunity. They should write a, a song, Amazing Grace. They should write that. But this incredible grace opportunity for, for you to be an influencer on somebody else. Now, they may refuse to listen to you. 
They may turn their back on what you say, your kids, whatever. It doesn't matter. You are responsible to them, not for them. And your role as a servant leader in the lives of the people around you is to, is to embody the person and character of Christ. To live out that list. To take care of your homes. To know the word and inject it where it's needed. That's what he's given us to do. We're Christ carriers. We're Christians. It's how we do. Can we pray? Lord, for your grace in this endeavor, we just need it. We need you to help us. Get behind us on that wheelbarrow, God, as we try to live this servant leader life and, and push. And, and help us, God, uh, to, to understand that these qualities aren't just for the, the, the muckety-mucks in the church. They're for all of us as we servant lead for you. Give us your grace in accomplishing these things, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Come over and say hi if you want to get some prayer. Otherwise, have a great, great week. God bless you as you go.